and ask our leaders if they will come and join me. is communion about? Communion is remembering what Christ has done and remembering what he has impacted and what he has done, how he has changed our relationship to him and our relationship to ourselves. Um, by his death on the cross, by his resurrection from the grave, he has purchased our salvation, made secure our salvation. And so our relationship with God the Father is now a, a, a one based on grace, not on judgment. A one where we enjoy our fellowship with him, the fellowship that was intended when, when man was created. And so we are reconciled to God. It's interesting how we've been instructed to take communion. We've been take, instructed to take it together uh, and to to um, participate in the same thing. We drink of a cup, represents the same thing, which is Jesus' blood. We eat of a bread that represents his body. And so we're celebrating him together. And it's, it's, there's an emphasis on our togetherness. That word communion um, means a, a joint, a fellowship, and a practice that we do together. And so our relationships with each other, not only our vertical relationship with God, but our relationship with each other has been greatly impacted because of what Christ has done. We are now brought together as brothers and sisters under Christ, and we celebrate that. We have a responsibility to each other. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks to the, the church in Corinth, and he chides them because they were celebrating something in a dysfunctional way. They were... They, they had uh, disharmony, um, um, and, and uh, 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 they were at each other, um, antagonistic and, and hateful towards each other, not loving each other at a time when they really should be celebrating um, coming together because of what Christ has done. So um, there's an emphasis here on what Christ has done and, and how it affects our relationship with each other because of Christ. So we have been called to confess our sin and to examine how we, have, how we are relating with the Lord individually and how we're relating together and uh, to, to remember uh, that as we participate tonight. So let's do that. Let's take some time to examine our hearts and uh, pray, and then let's um, come together and receive communion tonight. So I want to ask Brian if he'd give us a moment. Um, in silence to allow us to examine our hearts and to pray silently and then pray for us uh, to break that silence. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together. We pray, Lord, that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit. Morning, we learned in the catechism that your Holy Spirit is the one that convicts us of sin. And so, Lord, we pray, Lord, that we pray to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you please convict us of our sin? Make it aware to us what we have done, if we have done any wrong, that would make us displeasing for, for us to observe this communion before you. 
Help us, Lord, in our hearts to observe this communion as if Jesus was standing before us right now and we could openly recommend ourselves to him. So I pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, please spark our memories if we have done some wrong. And if so, if it's something that we can rectify by simply confessing it to you now, willingness to confess that sin, to forsake that sin, to stop loving that sin. But if it's something that we cannot take care of right now, something we have to go to a brother or sister, something that we have bitterness in our hearts towards them, Lord, convict us. Help us to be honest with ourselves. You are the convictor. Help us to be real with ourselves and with you. And talk to that brother or sister. Let's not let that sin lie. Lord, give us the strength to go to that brother or sister because you are also the spirit of communion between us. So you know, Lord, when the harmony is disturbed, so help us to restore that harmony. Help us to restore what the beauty of the church is. And I pray, Lord, that if there are sins that we are ignorant of, you know how weak we are, Lord, that you will forgive us of our sins and cleanse our hearts, Lord. Help us to be empowered to serve. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen. for communion so we ask you to come at this time first row on this side and the first two rows on this side prepare our hearts for communion. Let's pray for the elements that we received tonight and ask Andy if he would pray for the cracker that represents um, Jesus' body and if Brian will again pray for the juice that represents his blood. Lord, we just pray to you um, thinking about this cracker that you've given us as a symbol uh, for the sacrifice that you paid, um, that you allowed yourself to be placed on the cross and praying and just that feeling being from you um, as a thing done for us, nothing that we have done to deserve it, but because wine or the grape juice that we have here, Lord, as a symbol of that blood, Lord, and the wine also as a symbol of joy, and that's the weird thing about the Christian religion that we look at our God being killed and we take joy in it, but that's because we know what that blood meant for us, Lord. Your suffering was our joy. And so, Lord, in that way, we represent your death with this grape juice that gives us joy. It perks us up when we drink it, Lord, in the same way that you give us life through your blood. So we thank you for what you've done for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. receive that wishes to receive tonight. symbol of life. This is basically a symbol of, of bread. It's just a wafer, but represents bread. It represents the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we celebrate his life, 
he came down to earth to take on a human body so that he might experience humanness and represent human beings in his death on the cross and we are so grateful for Christ representing us let's eat and remember Christ as we eat together this represents the blood of Christ his blood was shed for our sins on our behalf we should have been put to death our sins condemn us to eternal death Christ experienced that death for us in our place that we could have eternal life with him and with the Father remember Christ then as we drink together promise to return again he is going to fulfill his promise and, and we are to live faithfully until that comes so let's keep that in mind as we return back to our seats we live with the joy of Christ's return do two things tonight for the rest of the night is uh, when I have a, a question from our question and answer box we're going to take a look at a little bit later but before that we're going to take some time uh, to look at the video that we, we promised we'd look at tonight so um, let's go ahead when that's ready to take a look at, at that We stand accused. We know how to have fun, too. <laughs> um, those are some of the short skits that are being done by Kenner and Kenner uh, to get, kind of get the word out there and to uh, get a message out there. So you can, uh, you can support that and be in prayer for that as that goes out. Just thought we want to show you that and, and see it. How, how can people normally see that? Facebook? And YouTube, all right. Get on YouTube, take a look at that, and uh, send it to a friend and let them look at it. And those skits are going to continue. And, you know, they're using comedy to get a, a serious message across. So um, more power to them. <laughs> okay, I've got about 10 minutes to, to deal with a, a question. I have a question that came from our question and answer box. Again, I don't know if the person who asked this question is here or not, but like I said, when I get the question, we're going to answer those on Sunday night. So let me read the question and then take you through uh, the answer. Normally, I'll check the boxes on Sunday and on Wednesday, and then I will answer or try to answer those, respond to those questions on uh, Sunday night. All right, this question is from Matthew. 22:14 Matthew 22:14 says for many for many are called but few are chosen for many are called but few are chosen what are the many called to and who is calling them so you can be called and not chosen does this mean called to work in the ministry why call someone to work in the ministry if not chosen? So it's really asking about how, what does that, who does that speak of, the called and the chosen? Why is it to say that many are called but few 
are chosen. What does it mean by many are called? Okay, um, when we look at a biblical question like that, if it's not just apparent right from the verse, first of all, when we look at the verse, we also look at the context. We also, the context includes the section or the chapter that is written in or the section of scripture that, that is written in. What's, what's there, what's immediately after, and what immediately follows. Can we get an idea of what scripture is saying? If I make a comment about something, you don't understand that comment, if you just read that comment on a piece of paper or just hear a, a bit of that comment, it can be confusing what I'm saying. But if you listen to what I said all around that, then it may help you understand what I meant by that. <clears throat> um, if I said to you today, get out and do your job on Tuesday night, you may not understand what that means. But if you put in the context what today is and what Tuesday coming up is, you may imagine, well, maybe he's talking about voting. All right? So the context has something to do, help us understand the, the comment that was made. So here is the comment. Many, for many are called, but few are chosen. Here's the context. Let's turn it to Matthew. Look at a few verses. Matthew 21, the chapter before. Matthew 21. things go on in Matthew 21. Uh, in verse 12 through 17, Jesus cleanses the temple. And look at the response that happens. In verse 15, when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. All right? Kind of store that away. Jesus does something. The chief priests and scribes respond to it, they become indignant. All right. Um, verse 23 of Matthew 21. <clears throat> they come and they ask him a question. By what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus says, okay, I'll ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. Who is the they, first of all? In verse 23, it says, When he entered the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus responds to that, right? And uh, um, he asked them a question. Verse 25, The baptism of John, where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they, and they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? If we say from men, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hope that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. He said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. We see a battle going on between Jesus, chief priests, Pharisees, and, and, and the, uh, the elders. <clears throat> Go to verse 28 now. This is the parable of the two sons. I don't have my, my dry erase bowl marker board here, but I'm going to kind of mark in air so you can <laughs> follow my points. Jesus tells this parable. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. 
And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. He tells them this parable. Who is he telling the parable to? The ones he's having this battle with. These are chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees. All right? And who does the first son represent, and who does the second son represent, according to this parable? Let's take a look at it. The first son, what happens to him? The, the man says to the first son, go and work in the vineyard today. Verse 29, what did the first son do? He rebelled. He said, I'm not going to do it. Then what else did he do after that? He did what? Okay, he changed his mind and went and did it. All right. The second son, what does he do? He, the father tells him the same thing, and what does he say? I'll go. And then what does he do? He didn't go. All right. Now, Jesus equates these two sons to somebody. In this parable, it's not a secret. He tells us in this parable. <clears throat> Verse 31, which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, what? Tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. The son, first son, represents tax, tax collectors and prostitutes. The second son represents who? Them, chief priests, Pharisees, scribes, religious leaders, right? What is Jesus saying about them? He says, well, let's read. Verse 32, for John came to you in the way of righteousness. You did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. So he equates them, right? He's talking about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, and so forth. There's another parable that follows that. Verse 33. <clears throat> Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants. What do we got so far? We got a master and tenants. Right? Let's go on, continue. He went into another country, verse 34. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. Now we got some servants, right? Got a master, some tenants, and some servants. <coughs> verse 35. And the tenants took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants. So if I had my board, I would write other servants equal, and we would have to find out who that were, who, who they represent. So we have the master. He represents somebody. We have the tenants. They represent somebody. We have the first servants. They represent somebody. We have some other servants. They represent somebody. And let's go on. <clears throat> Verse 36, again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son. Master sends a son. Now, that seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? 
master being God, son being Jesus, right? If the master is God and the son is Jesus, who are the first servants? Take the S. Prophets, right? Prophets, Old Testament prophets. Who are the other servants? More prophets, more prophets. Maybe New Testament prophets, just more prophets, right? We see, we see who the son is, who the tenants. Well, you're careful in answering that. That's all right. Let's keep going until we find out. Let's skip down to verse 45. <clears throat> Get to the, to, the, to the meat of the story. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, plural, right? Heard his parables. He told a parable to two sons. He told a parable of the tenants, right? They perceived that he was speaking about them, Right? So now we know who's the object of these parables. Who is it? All right, chief priests, the Pharisees. Um, all right, so they're the tenants in this parable. Notice what the tenants do in this parable. The, the, the master of the house goes and he, he gets a vineyard, um, prepares it, and so forth, and uh, uh, the servants go to get the fruit from that vineyard, and what, what happened? The tenants attack the servants, kill them, right? He sends other servants, they kill their servant. They, the master sends his son, and what do they do to the son? Kill him, destroy him. Notice what the master does, verse 40. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? Now he gives another, not a parable, but uh, 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 reading and understanding the Old Testament. Who's the stone? It's the stone that's rejected. And who rejects them? The stone is Jesus Christ. Who rejects the stone? The builders. The builders. Okay? And this stone becomes the chief cornerstone. It becomes the cornerstone. <clears throat> All right. So we see that Jesus was speaking a parable. Um, the, in many parables, he was speaking about the kingdom of God, and he was speaking against the rulers of the people, the rulers, the Jewish spiritual or religious leaders. Now, it's always dangerous to stretch a parable for more um, than it's meant but we can see the context of these parables. We see where they're going. The vineyard is Israel. The vineyard is God's people, Israel. And the tenants are the ones that are in control of that. These are these religious leaders. All right, so that makes sense so far? Am I stretching it too much? You can kind of follow, right? Makes sense. All right. Now let's go into chapter 22. And here's why I went through 21, because chapter 22 says, And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. I say, look at the context, right? So you see that, and again, you're going to look at, okay, how, what is this parable connected with? It's connected with these other parables. What's the main drift of these other parables? Is, is Jesus is getting attacked by the, the, the spiritual leaders, religious leaders of Israel, and he's condemning them for what they are. All right? Follow so far? 
I'm not trying to make anything more complicated. Just looking back at what we saw before and seeing how that helps us understand what we're looking at now. Verse 20, uh, chapter 22, let's look at this parable. Again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Are we already told what this parable is going to be about? It's about the kingdom of heaven, and it includes a wedding feast and a son, right? So far, so good? All right, continue on. Verse 2, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. So we have, we have um, a king who has a son who's about, get, about to get married. He sends his servants out to invite people, right? What happens to the people he invites? They don't come. Verse 4, again he sent other servants, saying, tell those who are invited. See, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves. Calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Okay, so we see the same flow from the other parables, don't we? Right? We have a king, sends a son. Um, they, 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 they killed his son. And we see the king's response. Um, Where are we now? Verse 7, the king was angry and sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Now, in this parable, it takes another little twist, but it's to teach us something else. So he says, so the king, after he takes his action, um, he says, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. That's a key point in this story. The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Now, let me skip down to verse 14 and then tie into the rest of it. For many are called, but few are chosen. Who are the many called? Who are the few chosen? I would would say this to you. The many are called are Israel, the people of Israel, including the religious leaders and and all they represent. Who are the few that are chosen? All who will be saved, including Gentiles and some of Israel. Many are called. They were invited to the feast. They wouldn't come. Let's go on with this story and see what happens. Verse verse 7 Verse 8, then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all who they found, both bad and good. Now that sounds a little funny. What does that mean, both bad and good? They invite everybody they they can get, right? So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, this takes another twist. That, that bad and good throws a twist in this story. You wonder where he's going with that. And then it takes another twist, verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now, that, com- <laughs> that comment there, he was speechless. Brian is laughing. He probably knows where I'm going to go with that. It reminds me of the look on Brian's face. <laughs> In one of those videos, 
You know, he was speechless. He had nothing to say. He was just shocked. Um, the king is calling him out. What you doing in here and you're not prepared? He has absolutely nothing to say. He, he can't defend himself. All right. Then the king said to the attendant, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. That's kind of like a, a, a weird twist. You didn't expect this to happen, but he's, he's showing something else. All right. So bunch of, let me give you the gist of the parable is that there's a wedding feast. A bunch of people are invited. They refuse to come. The king says, go invite other people. All right? So he pulls all these people in, and some of them aren't prepared. They don't have proper wedding gear on. That's an offense to the host of the wedding, and he kicks them out. And then he makes this statement, for many are called, but few are chosen. So who are the many called, who are the few chosen? The many called is Israel. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. They rejected him. Israel flat out rejected Christ. Few are chosen. Of, of all of the world, there's this, there's this few. Few Gentiles, few Jews, few are selected. God has chosen few. And we have that privilege um, that God has chosen us into salvation. Here's another story within that story about the, the wedding garment and not being prepared. All who are chosen <laughs> have to be properly attired for this wedding, don't they? What do you suppose that attire is? There's other parables that point this, is that we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ, right? This parable doesn't speak to every detail of that, but it kind of hints at that, that, hey, everybody there, you can't just come in on your own and, 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 and be accepted. You have to have proper tire on, and that proper tire is the righteousness of Christ or the blood of Christ um, that, that we would see. All right. So, again, I, 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 didn't try to, I didn't intend to make it more complicated. What I wanted to do is, is, is give you a comfort level in understanding Scripture. What you need to do is simply look and see what Scripture—let let the Scripture speak to you. Don't try to interject anything that's not there take from what the scripture says get into the flow of what it's saying we looked at the chapter before we see that Jesus was teaching a bunch of parables he was teaching it at the Pharisees it tells us that in the text and we see how the, the parables lined up they, 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 they flowed together they, they had a common theme to them and that helped us understand this particular parable and this kind of weird funny saying at the end of this parable um we, we need that to, to kind of, we, we need to, to understand those parables before to kind of get a, a grasp. Many are chosen. Jesus is saying, I, I went to my people and they rejected me. And that was, that was personified in the religious leaders who totally rejected Christ. All right. Hope that was helpful. Uh, I hope that person was here. We have to repeat that next time if that person wasn't here. That's all right. Um, just got this question today, so I don't know if that person here here or not. If, if you were, I hope that that was helpful to you. I want to continue to encourage you to ask questions. I won't always take this much time in asking a question, but I, I wanted to give a sense for um, 
you know, how you can look at scripture for yourself and, and not come with random thoughts, but look at the flow uh, of scripture itself. If you have any other questions, feel free to, to talk to me after service. Otherwise, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And um, we pray, Lord, you just help us in our skill of understanding your word and in reading and um, rightly dividing your truth so that we might, um, we might see and understand what it is you are saying to us. We thank you now, Jesus.